Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. But today I want to share a message with you guys that I've entitled, Let It Flow. But before, oh, I'm not going to sing it. It sounds like Let It Go, but I'm not going to sing that. But before we get started, let's go to God. Let's ask him to bless this time and guide the moment we're here with his word. So dear Lord, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to come here and share this word, Lord. I thank you for what you continue to do in this house, Lord. I thank you for your love and your grace that you continue to pour out upon us, Lord. I pray that you continue to lift each and every one of us up in the work that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that you honor protect and be with those veterans who are serving now or have served in the past, Lord, that you continue to be on them, bless them, be with their families, those around them, Lord, and honor them for the work that they've done and the sacrifices they've done, Lord. We thank you for everything you continue to do through us. Bless this time and bless this word. It's in your precious name we pray and everybody says amen. So, you know, recently, back at the beginning of August, my wife uh, surprised me with a belated birthday gift. I kept whining enough that I'd never been traveling a whole lot I never went west of the Mississippi. Most of my travels involved about a four-hour flat road trip from here to a place where I give my money to a rat and lovingly throw dollars away to watch my kids be happy. That, that's, that's encompassed most of my travel. So I haven't really traveled to a lot of places, so my wife finally got tired of my whining, and she booked a trip out west. So we went out to Las Vegas. We went to go see the Grand Canyon and all those places and everything. So... I'm not going to talk about the Vegas part. So that's, that's. But one thing I did notice was we went out to the Grand Canyon. Now, she had already been with some of her friends, and it's one of those things that you can try and describe it as much as you want. You can try and show as many pictures as you want, videos, but until you actually experience it for yourself, until you are standing there and are in awe of the massive amount of God's creation, you, you can't even understand it until you're there. So we took a couple pictures. Now, one of the biggest things was when we got there, uh, just, just so you guys know, I, I'm, I was what was probably known as ADHD before we started giving acronyms to the things that are wrong with us. And, and even till this day at 40-something years old, I have to really contain and control my, my excitement, and I'm very hyper and all. So we get there. And I'm envisioning, I've said, oh, man, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. It's this massive, giant, mile deep, more than a mile deep hole. There's probably going to be all kinds of safety guardrails, and it's going to be guided tours. So when we first get there, I look out, and, you know, I'm in awe for a moment. Then I notice, hey, hey babe, there, there's, there's no safety rails or anything. No. So you mean I can, like, go out there? Well, if, if you want. So, oh, heck, yeah. So I'm like a child. I start running. And, I, you know, here's one of the pictures. You know, I'm like, I want to go out. If I'm going to go out to the Grand Canyon, I want to experience it. So I start cruising out there. And already about this time, now, mind you, it's a, she's zooming in. She's probably about 200-something, 300 feet behind me. And she's yelling, babe, that's, babe, that's close enough. Babe, that's, that's never close enough for me. So I always got to push a little more. And I always remind her, don't worry, babe. I'm heavily insured. It's okay. So then I'm like, no, no, that's not enough. I want to go sit on the edge. I got to sit on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Why? Because I always have to push it. So there, here, here you are. And, and once again, I, you can't even get a perspective. It's about 7,000 feet of elevation at that point. But, but I remind everybody, look, it's not the fall that's the problem. It's a sudden stop when you hit the ground. So as long as I'm there, I'm okay and stuff like that. And then to give a little perspective, I took a picture, you know, so you can see the, the feet dangling over the edge and everything. So, you know, 
And of course, I'm leaning out to take that picture. To me, it's awesome. It's like a, it's like a thrill. It's, a, it's an adrenaline rush. I know some people are sitting there going, I already feel like, oh, I'm about to fall off the edge. And that was my wife the whole time, babe, babe, babe. And of course, the wind's blowing. But that was amazing when you're standing there. Because when you are standing in front of one of God's unbelievable creations, you start to realize how small we are in the world that he has given us and the world that he created. And you start to realize what and a massive part he plays in what he's done. And I'm just this little speck on the screen there. Now, that was an amazing part of seeing God's creation. Now, one of the other places we went while we were out there was the Hoover Dam. So I have a couple pictures of that. Now, just a little, in case you guys have never been out there, just a little lesson about the Hoover Dam, because I always like to learn when I go on my vacations. So this was built back in the 30s, spanned about five years to build. About 100-something people lost their life doing it. Now, what was the purpose of the Hoover Dam? Well, the Colorado River out there, it's not like in Miami where if it rains, the ground soaks it up. It's so dry out there, the ground cannot soak up water fast enough when they get these torrential downpours. So the Colorado River would overflow to the point that it would wipe out entire plains. So people would be out there trying to have a living. They moved out west for a better life, and they'd be out there, and from one night to the next, their entire town would be washed away. So this massive thing that they were hoping to use to do irrigation and help their life out there was actually wiping people out sometimes. And then they'd go through severe droughts. It was back and forth. So they came up with the idea from an engineering feat that we're going to build this massive Hoover Dam to control the Colorado River. And of course, just like human beings, we not only turn it into, you see how peaceful the river looks there, but on the other side of the Hoover Dam is Lake Mead. We turn it into a party anywhere we go. There's boats, there's people skiing. That's how they roll. But the Hoover Dam itself is over 700 feet tall, over 1,000 feet across the canyon. And to give you a perspective of how wide it is, depth from front to back, at the top, it's only 40-something feet. At its base, it's over 660 feet across. It's massive. And this was an unbelievable engineering feat that man did to control the flow of something, to control that Colorado River to where now it went from desert death to desert oasis. It's amazing out there. But the reason I use these illustrations is not just because it was fun to put the pictures up, is the fact of, I wonder in our life, do we try and take this massive torrential flow of what is known as God's grace and love, and do we try and control it to where I can manage it and to where I can put it in my perspective? You see, man took this massive thing that God created and then uses it for our purpose. They release water when they need it, it creates electricity, it creates irrigation, it provides water to three different states. It's an amazing engineering feat, but yet controlled by man. Man in our own strength and arrogance always wants to control things. Giving up control is one of the toughest things we have to do as a human being. And we, I personally believe we also do that with God. I believe that we take this unbelievable grace, love, this uncontrollable flow that could wash over our lives, and we want to control it and put it into a place where we can understand it. Now, the verses I want to read out of today, if you want to start turning your Bible there, is John chapter 10. We're going to read through the first 11 verses. Now, I hope most of you will recognize the one verse, it's our church verse, is John 10, 10, that he, God came to give us life and life more abundantly. And I want to use the illustration here. This story is about the shepherd. So as we read through it, I, I want to expand on it a little bit, kind of give us a perspective of how it is we can sit there and figure out, do we actually try and control the grace and the love of God, or do we allow it to freely flow upon our lives? So picking it up in verse 1 of John chapter 10, it reads, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Quick side note. Just a thought process. Did you ever wonder if Jesus got frustrated with people that every time you read that he told them a story and they go, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he did or not, but I, I, sometimes I almost think he went, okay, let's try this again. Just my thoughts. I'll get back on track. So picking up in verse seven, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, reading that, it may not automatically seem clear of why I chose those verses to talk about letting the overflow of God's grace come upon us, but I think one of the beauties of that illustration, besides the fact that we use as a church verse in John 10, 10, is the fact of the likening that Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. Now, for those of you who may or may not know, sheep are interesting animals. Uh, I've yet to see a pack of wild sheep in, running around the woods and around the forest anywhere. Why? Because they typically get wiped out. Uh, they serve much more purpose as either nice wool or as lamb chops, but that's about it. They don't survive on their own. They need the shepherd to guide them, to protect them, to show them where to drink, eat. Every part of their life and their protection is dictated by the shepherd, not by themselves. So the illustration that Jesus uses that, a lot of us can get insulted and say, well, are you saying we're as dumb as sheep? Newsflash, we are. Um, I hate to break that news to you guys, but it's not an insult. It's a simple fact that we are sheep because we get lost in a world that distracts us, takes us away from everything, pulls us away from everything. And just like a sheep that'll wander off, we do the same thing. And we can wander off without the shepherd keeping us in line. But the beauty of that is all wrapped up to me in verse 11. Because not only does Jesus flat out tell them, I am the shepherd. Obviously, you didn't get the illustration the first time. So let me make it clear for you. I am the shepherd. And I gave my life for the sheep. You know, I wonder sometimes if we look at that and we think that if Jesus gave his life for us, why would I want to control any other aspect of what he wants to give for me? Why was giving his life okay, but then I want to take and control the rest of the stuff that he wants to pour out upon my life? So the first point I want to look at today is don't try and contain the uncontainable. You know, God's grace and love is this unbelievable thing. I don't honestly think we can wrap our mind around it. We cannot, and I don't want to, and I'm okay with that, be able to wrap my mind around the love and the grace of God because I will not understand it. You know, we talk about all the time, you know, Jesus gave his son. I wouldn't even give my dog for most people. I can't understand that kind of love, but I receive it, and I love getting it. But it's okay if I don't have to understand everything. But why do I want to limit what God does? You know, it's funny, thinking about controlling the water and all, I think sometimes we view God's grace 
as instead of this torrential flow, we almost want to view it like one of those, like a shower head. And not even a good old-fashioned shower head. One of these new energy-efficient, water-saving ones that spit on you. That you got to, you like get wet and then you got to push the water across your body to get wet. And I think that we approach God's grace and love like that. I'm going to step in the shower. I'm going to turn it on. Get just enough to go over me. Okay, and then crank it off because I don't want to waste any water. And then step back out and carry on with my day. And we want to sit there and regulate how much it is that God wants to give. That I want to sit there and try and contain this uncontainable God. This God who wants to just give and pour out upon me. You know, imagine, just for a visual illustration, if you could stand on the top of Niagara Falls. Now, Niagara Falls, I've never seen it in person, but I can get a pretty good perspective when you see it on TV and things fly off of it when the water's flowing. It's massive. Imagine if they were able to turn off the water just for a few minutes and you were able to walk out on the edge of that cliff, stand there where the water would be flowing and go, all right, crank it up again and let them open the valve and that water hits you. What do you think's going to happen to you? You're probably going to go, it's going to be funny to watch on a video, I can tell you that much. It would go viral. But you would get completely blown right off the top of that mountainside. Gone. Obliterated. And that even in itself does not compare to the love and the grace and the outpouring that God wants to flow upon our lives. That we want to sit there and I want to say, God, since I can't understand how massive and the volume of your love for me, I'm going to tell you how much to give me. I'm going to tell you how much it is I want to receive. And I'm going to tell you the way in which I want you to disperse it. And we want to control every single aspect of God's love for us. And we just don't want to sit there and let them pour out upon us. We want to try and contain it. We want to sit there and say, God, give me just enough. You know? And we take the idea of when we pray to give us our daily bread. Yeah, daily bread is nourishment and food. Yeah, God wants to give us just enough because we always want to be dependent on him. But grace and love, the overflow of his blessings through the spirit, that has no limit. That is uncontainable and uncontrollable. Just like we read in the verses there in John 10, 10, or in John 10, I should say, talking about being thieves and robbers. Do you realize, family, that when we do that, we are robbing God of the blessings he's deciding to give us? I didn't determine how he was going to give his life for me. I didn't determine the way he was going to bring me into his fold. That was all on him. But now all of a sudden that I'm one of his sons, that I'm one of the sons of God, now I'm going to try and contain and dictate how it is he's going to give that blessing to me. I am robbing him. I am taking away from him. Because then that means I want to take just enough to determine how I want my day to go. And if I want to truly be used, blessed, strengthened, and guided by God, I have to let him decide when enough is enough. Because when I'm deciding, then that means I'm going to take it my way, my route, what I think it should be. And I'm going to miss out on what he has planned for me, what he has in store for me, what he wants for me. You know, in 1 Kings, we read, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Now, to give you a perspective of the reason they would use a temple, back then, in biblical times, we'll call it, before Christ roamed the earth and gave his life, the Jews had to build temples. They had to build a sacred, holy place for which only the select few were even allowed to approach the Holy of Holies, which was the place where God would speak to them. If they were not clean when they went in there, 
they would drop dead in their tracks right there because that's the way you approached God. So they had to build a temple to contain an area to talk to God. Now, the funny thing is, in our times here and those of us given their life, I don't think we realize we actually build temples too. And I'm not talking about this building. This is just where we come meet, hang out, get strengthened, a little fellowship time and start hitting the streets again for God. But we build a temple in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, that I want to create a space for God to be. It's almost like putting an efficiency on the side of the house, para abuelito and abuelita. So I'm going to build a little space on the side of the house, and that way you guys are over there, and you're staying out of my business over here, but you're right next to me when I need you, and you're right there. And I think we do the same thing with God in our own body temples, that I build a space and a container that I tell God, I want you to move your grace and your overflow into this space, but I'm going to regulate how much I let out and how much I get. And I can just envision God, really? That we even read there, not even heaven can contain you. There is nothing that can contain you. But then, then again, God's never dealt with me, I guess. I don't know. I don't understand our perspective. And I'm not saying this from a pow-pow a issue. I'm speaking to myself here that I get it. I understand I want to contain and control the love and the grace of God. I want to sit there and tell him, but God, just give me enough because that's what I need for my day. Because if you give me too much, I don't think you understand. My calendar's busy. I got lunch appointments. I got meetings. And if you put too much grace and love and drive in my heart, woof, my day's completely messed up. There's no way I'm going to make all the appointments I got. I'm a pretty busy guy. I'm kind of important, God. Did you know that? And we kind of had that approach with him. And we kind of view him that way. And that's how we want to take it. But I think we need to realize and we need to understand that when you contain that, when you try and control it, you are telling your heavenly father how he should bless upon us. Wow. So I'm going I'm to try that with my kids at Christmas. I'm going to buy them a gift. And when they open the gift, I want them to go, that's nice. Take it back. It's not what I wanted. Go get me something else. Now, after I pick them up off the floor from knocking them out, <laughs> as, as you lay the hands of God upon them, it'd be kind of insultive, though, wouldn't it? You'd be hurt. So why are we doing the same thing to God? Why am I telling God, awesome, I, I, everywhere I read in the Bible, it talks about your love, your grace, your sacrifice to us. It sounds great, God, but geez, you know, I, I think I want to try and just tell you to give me that much because I know what I need. I got this. And we're missing out on what God has in store for us. Now, the second point I want to look at taking along those same lines is receive it even if we don't deserve it. Now, this I feel is a sticking point for almost all of us at some point in time. Why? Because we are driven by guilt. How do I know? Because any of us in here who had a mother, knows that we are driven by guilt. And I watch my wife do it to my children, and I laugh because I've been there, you know, and we are driven by guilt, that we feel bad for something. We feel that I, I, I don't deserve this. I, I, I don't want that. You know, I, I, there's no way that you want to give me more blessings, God, because I really got a pretty good life right now. I got a great family, got a great job, great church, great friends. There's so much suffering going on in the world, God. 
Why don't you take your blessings and stuff over there and I'll make do with the little bit you give me. Now, that either takes the perspective of being a martyr where it's like, oh no, not, not me, God. You've done way too much already for me. Don't, don't give me any more. I got this. Or it's just out of guilt because trust me, I gave up trying to understand a long time ago when there's suffering going on all over the world, why would God want to continue blessing me? Why? Why would you do that to me? Why, why would you want to continue pour? There's so many other people that need it way more than me. But the funny thing is, I'm pretty sure, last time I read, God knows how the world begins and ends. God knows every single person, soul, and hair that is upon this earth. I'm not bringing him any new revelation that he doesn't know about. I'm not bringing God into, oh my, there's suffering on the other side of the world, Rich? Thank you, I did not know that. Thank you for enlightening me. Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. I'm not trying to take away from the fact that we always continue to pray and we always continue to seek God's love and advice and God's touch upon every single person on this earth. But that is not up to me, nor is it up to you, how he delivers it and gives it out. I do not know his ways because he is above me. And when I don't understand it, I want to try and control it because that brings more comfort to me. So I can almost sit there and say, God, don't give me too much. Give it to somebody else. Why? Because I don't deserve it. Because I'm guilty. Because I did this. Because I did that. You're absolutely right. We did. We don't deserve it. We shouldn't get it. But he gives it to us. So who am I to say no? We sometimes want to take the minimum from God rather than the maximum from God. I'm not under sure, I'm not sure why because I do the same thing. I'm the one who sits there and tries to say, you know, let me just take enough, God, because I don't want to steal from anybody else in here even. I see other people in church that I'm going, they're going through a horrible time right now, God. Why would you possibly bless me anymore? Have you not seen on the WhatsApp chats? Have you not seen the postings on Instagram and Facebook? Have you not seen what they are going through? Why would you possibly bless me anymore? Because the blessings of God that pour out upon us are not for your benefit, but for his. When you understand the perspective that what we do in this world, when we give our life to Christ, we now become a son and a daughter of the Most High God, our job, our call, our purpose is to bring him glory, to bring people into the fold right along with us, to bring more sheep under the one shepherd that we all need. So it's not based on us, it's based on him. Don't ask for the minimum, expect the maximum. And let him decide how he wants to fill it out. You know, the one thing I, I think is if we as believers, and those of you who may not believe in Christ, you'll have opportunity at the end. But there's one verse that to me, I know some people feel like, oh my gosh, we always talk about that verse. And, and once again, side note, if you ever grew up watching football, this always was popped up on a poster board, John 3.16. I'll be the first to admit because I, I wasn't really raised in church, I had no clue what it was. Did anybody else watch those when they were growing up football, not knowing that that was a Bible verse? Just me? I'm all alone? Okay, I'll take that. So I didn't know who John was. Was it their son? He's turning three on the 16th. That's his, that's his football number. Go little Johnny. He's out there playing linebacker. I didn't know what it meant. You know, until later on, I can be honest. We're in a safe place here. But John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
That verse to me cannot be oversaid, overstated, recited too many times. That right there to me is the pinnacle. If you had to sum up the Bible and what it means to the human race, my personal opinion, that's the verse. Because that encompasses love, sacrifice, redemption, everything all in one. And the fact of eternal life. But why is it that those of us that believe that, those of us that have given our lives to Christ, or those of you who may not know it now, but will give your life to Christ. Why is it that if you truly believe that verse, do you have trouble receiving anything else from God? If you can break down that verse and think, wow, the Son of God, who spoke the world into existence, came down to earth to die a death for me on a cross as a sinner and did nothing wrong, that that was good enough for him to give me eternal life, why in the world would I want to put a limit on him with anything else in my life? So let me get this straight. His son dying on the cross wasn't as bad as, oh God, please don't give me too much blessing and grace today. That's, that's more than enough. I'm pretty sure just by doing that, he proved that he's limitless in the amount of love that he wants to give to each and every one of us. What holds most of us back? Guilt. That will hold us back. You know, there's, there's two words I hear a lot, and I think they apply greatly to the Christian walk in our life with God. And they're separated by one letter at the very end, and that's worth and worthy. Now, the definition of them bring two totally different concepts. Worthy is someone who has attained the status or is the one who is worth our adoration or affection. To me, that's only one person, that's God. There's no human being, I don't care how good you think you are, that is worthy of my praise and grace, only our Heavenly Father. Why? Because being worthy is dependent on the person receiving. That is Him. So I think a lot of times we sit here and we almost beat ourselves down in the Christian community and say, I'm, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worth. Okay, you're absolutely right. Get over yourself. You're not worthy. None of us are. But if you take off one letter at the end, you take off the Y, the word now becomes worth. Worth is defined as the value something has based on the person who wants to obtain it or attain it or pay for it. Jesus Christ came down to obtain you, to untain you, and to pay for you with his own life. So if anybody, especially the enemy, ever tells you you are not worth anything, rebuke them because that's a lie from the devil. If, if you truly believe in John 3.16, you truly believe that Jesus Christ came down and died for you, you are obviously worth everything. We're not worthy, so don't get all on our high horse going, oh, see, I am worth. No, we're not worthy. It does not come from us, but we are worth everything. Every single human soul in life was worth it to God because Jesus came down and died for us. So take that off. Get that off your plates. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, picking up in verse 12, we read, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Once again, it is not about us. What God did was for us, but it is about him. 
it is all about him. So if I have been given an upward call for Christ to attain God, how can I possibly do that without the outpouring and the strength and the love and grace of my heavenly father? Can I do it by myself? No, absolutely not. Shouldn't have to. He didn't tell us to. Why am I doing that? You are limiting what God wants to do with you because you feel guilty possibly or you don't want to take the blessings. You think in your mind because the enemy tells us you cannot have that close of a relationship with God. You cannot be used by him because of the life you lived. I let go of the past, as those verses say, and I run towards the future. I run forward for what God wants to lay a hold of me. One of my favorite verses, a lot of people use it as their life verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For the know, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, for those that have given their life to God, we have hope in our future. Why? Because we know where we're going. That is my hope. I don't have to worry about another thing because I have hope for my future. Even out there standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you know, my two thoughts were either I'm going to have a great picture or my wife's going to get a big insurance payout. One of those two thoughts go through my mind. I know, I'm a little warped. It's okay. That's just my life. So that's my thought process. Why? Because I know my future. I know where I'm going. I know my hope. And that doesn't mean that I live life stupidly, although I do stupid things. But I live my life on the edge going at 100 miles per hour. You know, it's funny, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that I think I was ADHD without being diagnosed ADHD, and God made me that way. I don't deny it, I don't take it away. People tell me all the time, you know, Rich, you have to rest sometime, and I go, absolutely right. I will rest when I'm dead. Because that's the way God wired me. He didn't wire everybody that way. I get it, I'm okay with that. But let me tell you what, while I still got breath in my lungs and while he still is going to push me, Lord, please fill me up every day because there's days I don't want to get out and put my feet on the floor. There's days I want to lay in that bed and do absolutely nothing but watch some TV, order Uber Eats because that's one of the worst things I ever found. They bring, they bring the food right to me. <sighs> Sorry, that was a confession moment. And I'm not feeling it every day. But let me tell you what. He pushes me. He strengthens me because I got a future and I got a hope. And he's already given it to me. And I think each and every one of us, if we allow the grace and the love of God to just flow through us at a massive rate, we will impact the world for him in a way we never imagined we could. We will reach lives that we thought were lost forever. Some of those are ourselves. And we got to think that way. Now, the third point I want to reach at is living water cannot sit still. Now, you know, we looked at the, the Israel trip. I would love to go to that. We'll have to see if we can make it or not. But one of the places I would love to visit is the Dead Sea couple fun facts on the Dead Sea. It's over 16,000 square miles in size, almost a thousand feet deep at its deepest point, and it's 9.6 times the salinity level of the ocean, meaning 9.6 times saltier. So imagine that bad aftertaste if you're out in the ocean and you catch water in your mouth. Imagine 10 times that. So, and I, but one thing I hear it's great about it is it's so dense anything floats in there, so it's going to make me feel good about myself when I go in. But the funny thing is, as beautiful as I hear it is, as breathtaking as the pictures are, there's one thing that is not going on in the Dead Sea, and that is life. Why? Because everything flows in, flows in, flows in, flows in, flows in. Nothing goes out. And just like us trying to contain it, us trying to tell God we don't deserve it, give me the same amount, 
We can do the same thing when he does pour out to us. If we don't let it come in and flow out of us, we become dead seas spiritually. We take and hold on to it. Once I get my gift from God, I've already got my retirement package. What am I stopping for? I'm good. I know where I'm going. Now I got to drive a call and a purpose that God has put in my life. So I need to take it in. Let God just pour out upon me as much as he wants. Not regulate it, but the next part that's so important to that is you have to let it flow out of you. You have to let it come out of you. You can't just hold on to it. You know, I have a little saying I like to, to tell people that to give you perspective. It's not the amount of time in your life. It's the amount of life in your time. When you take that perspective, if I live to be 150 and do not help one soul on this earth, then I only took care of myself and I become a dead spiritual sea. But people that maybe have 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever number of years God gives them, and they use that for the purpose of drawing people into a relationship with him, doing true eternal life-saving out there and creating lives for God, then that's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you will see that the more that you let pour out of you, I'll tell you right now, God will give you more. He will pour it out upon you. He will continue to go. He's not limited by that. In fact, in John 7, picking up verse 37, it reads on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not a stream, not a spit, not a little trickle, rivers of living water. Another story where, God, where Jesus does this is, Jesus took the time, and this is what always blows me away. For those of you that don't know Jesus in this way, I pray you do that Jesus, knowing that he only had three years to lay the foundations for the Christian world for thousands of years to come, three years, I get overwhelmed with the idea of what I have to do in the next week, and I think I'm overwhelmed. He had three years to lay the foundation for the salvation of the world. I'm sorry. You better believe I would have hoped they had Starbucks and, and hummus on drive through back then because I ain't got time to stop. We gotta go. But Jesus would take the time for individual personal meetings. One was the lady at the well. Beautiful story. A Samaritan woman, Jewish man being Jesus. Shouldn't have even been talking to this woman. Yet he took the time to stop. Asked her for a drink of water. She's sitting there telling him, you don't have anything to get the drink of water with. Why one are you asking me for water? Two, how am I supposed to get it for you? And then we lead into verse 13 in John chapter 4 where Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, meaning from the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus doesn't only tell her that you will never thirst again if you take the water from me. If you get filled with the Spirit, you will never thirst spiritually again. You will never have to seek again because God will be with you. But then it follows up with a but, meaning there's a second part to it. Out of you will become a spring of living water. It's not meant to be contained. It is not meant to be controlled. It is not meant to be denied. It is not meant to just sit still. It is meant to be a spring that flows in and out of us, to flow onto others, to bring life to others. Church, do we believe that God wants to use us in that way? I truly believe every single person that gives their life to Christ is going to impact this world in a massive way. If 
we allow God to work in us, God to flow through us, and to God to lift us up and raise us. And with that, I'm gonna ask everybody to raise up to their feet, if you would, please. We're gonna take a moment as we do with every service. I never wanna finish sharing the word of God and not giving an opportunity to people out there that may not know him in that way. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship. So if I can ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes for a moment of privacy and concentration, just to take a minute. I know there's people out here. I know there's people that came in here. Whether you've been in church for this one service, 10 years, 20 years, I don't care. If you do not know that you have that kind of relationship with your heavenly Father, if you did not know that Jesus Christ gave his life for you, if you did not know that the God who created the earth wants a personal relationship with you, wants to flow out his blessings and his love upon you, wants to fill you with the spirit to where you cannot contain it because you have a call and a purpose on your life that you may not even know about and you may not know how to deal with it, but he's gonna use you in a mighty and massive way if you allow him. So in a moment, if that is you, if you are seeking that, if your heart is hurting, right now, if the hairs are standing up on the back of your neck, because you got that feeling like, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna, he's gonna call in a minute. I'm not, if the spirit is knocking, Jesus is knocking on that door, the good shepherd wants to protect and give his life for you. On the count of three, you raise your hand. One, two, three. If that is you, raise your hand. Amen, I see you there. Amen, I see you. Amen, amen, I see you there. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you guys. Put your hands down. Best decision you've ever made? Not only do you now call the God and Creator Father, but you are now surrounded by a family of believers that want to come along your side. You do not do life alone anymore. You not only have all these people around you, you have a God in heaven that gave everything for you. So I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. You're not praying to me. I'm just facilitating it. This is between you and your Heavenly Father. And as a family, I'm going to ask the whole church to join in. If everybody can just repeat after me. Say, Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for this life. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for salvation. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my friend. I want to follow you for the, all the days of my life. I believe in you. I trust in you. And I call you God. It's in your precious name we pray. And everybody says, amen, amen.